Sometimes our family of origin is not the best place for us to be. In this week's episode, I chatted with Danny Lynn Fountain about her experience of being adopted as a teenager. She also shares her experience of being estranged from a family member and why that can actually be okay. She also shares dealing with anxious attachment and grounding techniques, as well as how she paid off all of her debt. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Danny Lynn Fountain, a passionate storyteller who helps companies focus on people. By day, she's a marketing strategist at Google, and by night, she develops communication strategies for clients, travels the world on a shoestring budget, and chases after her wildly ambitious personal goals. Amazing. She's also a multi-passionate human. Beyond working on strategy, she is a four-time author, digital nomad, doctoral student, and founder of the hashtag side hustle gal movement. She was named to the 2020 list of 100 most innovative entrepreneurs and has been interviewed and quoted in Forbes, Bustle, Business Insider, Cosmopolitan, and so much more. Thank you so much for being here, Danny. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. This is going to be such a wonderful conversation, and I'm so glad that you are sharing your time with us. I love how multi-passionate you are and how many things you are into, but I originally you know, wanted to talk to you for a specific reason. So I had a request from someone to do an episode about adoption and mental health. And I went on the Twitter verse and was like, I'm looking to talk to someone about adoption and mental health. And you got in touch with me and I was like, this will be perfect. I would love to connect with you about this topic. And so I wanted to get, you know, your experience and hear your story about being adopted as an adolescent and really hear more about your adoption story. Yeah. So my adoption story is an interesting one. I was adopted as a teenager when I was 16. I was also a senior in high school then. So like to give you a little bit of an idea of where I was in my life, but I actually grew up in the house with my biological mother and my siblings was adopted at age 16 and then didn't have contact with those biological siblings for about a decade until a little over a year ago. So it was an interesting journey. I literally uh, left my birth family home in March of my senior year of high school And the adoption was finalized literally 30-some days before my 18th birthday. So a very interesting experience. And uh, going to college with that kind of upheaval was also very interesting. 
Oh, that's so interesting that you were so close to adulthood, but not quite. It's like, I've heard of people being like emancipated, but it seems like there was a different route where you were adopted. Can you tell me more about how you feel like that affected your mental health and wealth at that time? And then, you know, since. Yeah, it was very interesting because you're right. I was six months away from heading to college, but I unfortunately had three months left in high school where I would have needed to be able to financially support myself in some way. And the part-time job that I had at McDonald's just wasn't going to cut it. So interestingly enough, actually, the day that I left that birth home, the first decision that I made was a financial one. I went and emptied my bank account of all of the money that I had made at McDonald's that was sitting in that account. I was just very nervous about what was going to happen next. And then in the days that followed, there were a number of other financial decisions that had to get made. I had to redo my FAFSA. It was right around the time that you had to put deposits in for college and make that final school selection. All of these financial decisions came up at a time when my support system was in literal free fall. Um, so the the adoption itself was a trauma, but then the impact of making financial decisions during a support system freefall was a trauma in and of itself too, because I had lost, you know, they say blood is thicker than water or whatever. I had lost the support system that was obligated Mm -hmm. to be there for me. And I still feel the effects of both of those separate traumas today in some ways. Yeah, of course I can imagine. And how was your experience being with a new adopted family at such an old age? It was definitely interesting. So the woman who took me in had previously been a foster parent, was familiar with how the system worked, which was a blessing. But she also took me in with her own six children. Um, so my first couple nights in her house, I was sleeping on a couch in the living room And then my bed ended up being the open space in the basement. And I'm forever grateful for the woman that took me in. And they very much became my family. They're the family that I still call family today. But you can definitely see how the lack of a defined space that was mine also contributed to that feeling of free fall. It was probably when I moved into my freshman year college dorm that I started to feel that stability again, because I had a space that was truly mine again. Mm, Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And I can imagine, you know, I'm thinking of people who have been adopted. And obviously, there are some people who have been adopted, who they may have never known their biological parents, they have a lot of questions about where did I come from? Who did I come from? What is my biological mental health history? Why did they give me up? Like what happened? Um, You were in a very different situation where you, for a good chunk of your young adult life, you were familiar with them, you knew that. And so I feel like there's definitely a different kind of trauma and situation that you have experienced in this particular way that is different than some other adoptees. And so I'm curious, given your situation, and obviously considering what other adoptees go through as well, how do you think that people who have been adopted 
dealing with either of the situation, whether they've never known their parents and they feel like this aching, this longing of this lack of history or someone like you who was adopted much later in life, how can someone deal with that um, trauma that like the situation that brings up a lot of trauma? How can someone find peace and understanding? That's an excellent question. So when you lose your original family system, whatever that looked like, whether it was a nuclear family, whether it was uh, you had a single mom who had to give you up for a reason, um, you lose sort of the first anchor that you're given. And regardless of whether that happens early on or later, the loss of that first anchor can be very like tumultuous you feel like you're you're floating untethered and you don't have a connection point holding you to one space and it can cause you to float away from whatever dreams goals ambitions that you might have had so especially for me in trying to deal with even now like 10 15 years later and trying to deal with those traumas and that experience the first thing is finding a grounding space, something to attach myself to, whether it's physically rooting myself into a chair, standing up and like feeling the weight of my feet pressing into the ground or anchoring myself like in a person, reaching out to someone that I have a connection to, just retying myself up to some sort of anchor pulls away a lot of the like uncertainty and anxiety that can come from something that brings up those memories. And even in those early days, trying to handle everything that was going on. That is so beautiful and lovely. And I'm really glad that you mentioned kind of this grounding practice of trying to find safety within yourself. And that's something that I've recently been experiencing myself is like, I happen to have an anxious attachment system. Um, And I, I imagine that perhaps a lot of adoptees might have that as well. That was not my situation. I have a different familial situation that, you know, it felt like a caregiver was kind of leaving at certain points, but like having that rupture in that family system kind of makes you feel that anxiety and that can affect your romantic relationships, your friendships, everything. And so something that I've been curious lately is like, how can you find safety within yourself if you can't necessarily find it? in your biological family system or your partner or your friends or whomever. And even if you can for a time, like sometimes there are conflicts and you can't access that at that time. And so I thought that was really beautiful of like concrete advice on how you can try to ground yourself in the moment and with your body and with your physicality and your friend and trying to find safety within yourself and remember that like I can take care of myself and all of these experiences have been extremely difficult, but I have survived up until now and I can continue to survive and move towards thriving. And what kind of work have you done to heal around this? If, if you mind me asking. Ah, over a decade of therapy, it's <laughs> still an ongoing process, but I also similarly have that anxious attachment style So something that I have really had to work hard on doing is not finding my own value in other people. And even outside of anxious attachment, it's healthy to not do that. But especially for someone 
with an anxious attachment style, if I can find a significant amount of my self-value from places other than other people, like from things that I have more control over, I mean, maybe the last year has challenged that a little, but like my job or um, my college degree, I often like look at my college degree as this thing that makes me feel valuable. We can debate whether or not that's good. But whatever those things are in your life that aren't people that are slightly more immutable, if you find value in yourself through those things, it can be a lot safer, at least for me. It helps me interact with people in a slightly less anxious way because I'm not getting 100% or even a majority percent of my self-perception of value from them. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad you brought that up. And that just totally (laughs) reminded me of my breakup a few years ago after nine years. And all of this stuff was coming up. Like I realized after the fact that I was very codependent, that I was very much anxious attachment. And it was because I was in this dysfunctional system that it just seemed normal. But when the relationship ended, I was like, I don't know who I am without this person. I had no self-esteem. I was so depressed. Like I could barely feel like I could go on living, which I know is like so dramatic and sad for a relationship, but I didn't even have the vocabulary at that time. And, you know, now I do, it's like, Oh, I was codependent and we were in a codependent relationship. I'm very much anxiously attached. And like you ascribe all of your self-worth or your values or your meaning to other people. And then something happens to that other person or, you stop kidding yourself and you're like, this actually really isn't making either of us happy. And then you part ways and then your whole foundation just crumbles completely. And, you know, I've, I know I've mentioned this on the podcast several times, but I remember being at my lowest moment at that time feeling like, I feel like I have no sense of safety. I feel like I have no idea who I am. I feel like I don't know anything and everything just hurts. And I remember thinking, I am under the destruction of the rubble and I can rebuild any way I want. And like who I am now is that person. Like this is the rebuild of who I was then. And it's so beautiful to see the fruits of that healing and that labor. And I'm so glad that you've dedicated yourself to therapy and to healing for a decade. I'm like so pro therapy. It's such a great way to talk to an M partial third party who can really help you kind of navigate these really difficult experiences and see them in a different way. And so I'm curious, you did mention that you reconnected with your biological family um, recently. Uh, How did that go or how has that been going? Yeah, so I still have no relationship with my biological mother today, and that's very intentional. But my reconnection with my siblings was very accidental. My littlest brother, my youngest sibling, my youngest birth sibling, uh, was he posted on Instagram that he was in the same city as me. And I was just like, what the heck? It's been 10 years. Like, I'll just DM him and see what happens. (laughs) So I sent him a DM, come to find out the person that he was seeing at the time lived one town over from where I was staying. So he came over for an hour and we ordered pizza and we just talked. And it was healing for both of us. He was eight or nine years old. 
when I left the home. So he like, he has memories of it, but it's also very cloudy and fuzzy. And then inversely, like I've carried so much guilt about because I was the only one that left the home, et cetera. And over the past year, we've really reconnected in a beautiful way. I mean, we like FaceTime multiple times a week now. He, uh, when it's possible, he comes to the city that I'm in and we hang out. I'm going wedding dress shopping this weekend and he's the only person coming with me. Um, So like that relationship has really flourished. And as a result, one of my other biological sisters, she's in the Air Force and her and I were a lot closer in age. We were 18 months apart. And so there was a lot more tension and anger in that particular sibling relationship. But because we have a group DM on Instagram with my brother as well, it's like a healing space. And he's almost like the peacekeeper of the space. And it's been really helpful. So baby steps, but it's been nice. I love that. And actually, you made me think of another question that I'd love to ask you. So you have reconnected with your biological siblings, which I think sounds really amazing. And you're doing a lot of healing there and reconnecting. You said you have very much intentionally not chosen to reconnect with your biological mother. I have seen a lot of kind of, I wouldn't call it toxic positivity, but maybe like toxic familial advice or something of like, oh, but this is family. Like you have to reconnect and you have to this and that. And like, I saw this in relation to someone else that I follow on Instagram, who I believe is estranged from their brother. I don't know the history. It's none of my business, but like, there seems to be a firm boundary there. And a lot of people have opinions on this boundary that they have clearly set for their life and about how, you know, Oh, how could you do that to your family? And you know, this, that, and the other, what would you say to people who are in an experience right now where they might be either currently estranged or feel like they have to be estranged from a biological family member, like their mom, like their brother, like a sibling for their own safety, their own sanity, their own, whatever, and they're getting a lot of people who are like, but they're your family. You you have to reconnect. But this is where you're from. Like, what advice would you give to someone who's dealing with that? So this is the way that I handled it and that I talk about it with other people. It might be an aggressive approach for some, but it's worked. Uh, I removed the emotions from the situation. And I literally turned it into a financial ROI conversation. Because so basically, the relationship ended for a reason, there was harm. And for the relationship to rekindle, the ROI needs to be net positive for both parties for it to be worth Mm -hmm. the energy. And the ROI on my side was so negative that there was like, almost nothing that could have been done to make it ROI positive. And so it wasn't an investment that was worth my energy. I mean, it would be the same as picking a stock that's been like falling for the past 10 years and saying, this is where I'm going to invest my dollars. Just not, not the way to go about it. And when I explain it to other people in that harsher black and white devoid of emotion way, they get it. So when the family piece is in it, you hear that, oh, it's family. But when you really remove the family piece and talk about one human and another human, it gets a little bit easier. 
I actually love that you brought that up. And I think it was such a beautiful analogy, especially for the mental health and wealth show. I was like, yes, love it. This is perfect. But I think, you know, you think of any relationship, familial, romantic, friendship, workplace, whatever, everyone's just looking for that net positive. Like there's no relationship that's not going to have their struggles, their hard times, their rough patches, their conflicts. That's just unavoidable. I mean, without all that stuff, um, you want what I heard is dead people's problems. (laughs) Like I forget, I was listening to some person speak and they're like, oh, I'm so sick of conflict and fighting and emotions. And they were like, so you want to be dead? Those are dead people's problems. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting way to put it. Like that, that is kind of what we get for being alive and being human is this is the price we pay is that there are conflicts, there are relationships, there are emotions, there's so much going on. And we have to have a net positive for us to make it worth it. Like, yes, relationships will have conflicts of all kinds and in various different ways. But obviously for you to want to stay and to continue to invest your time and energy, it needs to be positive in the long run. And after a certain amount of time, it's just, you can't. And like, I saw this with my breakup and everyone in their life has gone through a breakup at some point. It's like, you realize at some point, there's just no coming back from this. And it's like, when you get to that point, it's better just to wash your hands and being like, there's no coming back from whatever this has turned into and it's too much effort to try and I, or I have tried and it just isn't working and it's better to start fresh. And so I love what you are doing now. And like, you are very successful at Google and you recently paid off your debt. Tell me a little bit about reinventing your life and paying off your debt as well. Yeah, I think for me, in a lot of ways, the person that I am today is very much like an in spite of. Uh, I look at that situation and my birth mother, like if you met her on the street today, would likely try and claim credit for who I am today, despite not having had contact in more than a decade. And so it's very much an in spite of like a this is what happened, but it doesn't define me, which I feel like is common for anyone who's had a major traumatic experience. But also it's very much trying to learn from those experiences. Um, My birth mother and her husband had like just north of a six-figure income raising four kids in a rural community. That should have been more than enough. Property prices weren't very high. Property tax was low because they lived in the county, not the city. Uh, We went to public school. And yet we were still significantly in debt, like very, very, very much in debt. And I realized looking at my debt that I had been out of undergrad like six years and had already gotten into multiple six figures of debt like what's up with that, and saw that I was quickly heading on a path to be just like. Mm. And it was almost this moment of, "Mm, nope, we're not doing that. Like every other part of my life has been in spite of, this is not the part of my life where we're going to be just like. Um, So very motivating to get out of debt really quickly. (laughs) Yes. Congratulations. What are your uh, best tips for paying off debt for anybody listening? I really hunted down $0 equivalents. So there's this website called User Interviews where you literally get Amazon gift cards for giving your opinion. 
And I would buy groceries on Amazon Fresh with those gift cards. So my grocery budget became zero. There's this app called Paytime, which if you're a student, you like watch a couple ads on your commute and it pays for your Spotify or your Hulu subscription for free. Um, just finding those zero dollar substitutes for a lot of things let me a shrink my budget but also be free up capital to throw it my debt that was huge oh i love it i love it i love it that has been so amazing i love all of your tips so i know we are closing out on the end of the show do you have any parting tips for anyone that is dealing with adoption or family estrangement or paying off debt and also where can people find you I think the biggest piece of advice that I could give, it's slightly cheesy, but it's something good to keep in mind, is that you're the author of your story. And at the end of the day, like when someone writes a book, that book is not written for all 8 billion people on this planet. There's only a certain subset of people that are going to buy that book. And the same is true for your life right? Like not everyone's going to want to read the metaphorical story that is your life. So write the book for you. And there will be a subset of people that are interested in reading it or like participating in it. And that's, that's like really all you can do. And in terms of getting out of debt, for me, I didn't realize how deep into debt I was until I wrote everything down on one page. Such basic advice, but seriously, Put everything on one piece of paper. A lot of people are in denial. (laughs) Yeah. And when you see that number staring back at you, it's really hard to put it back on a shelf. Yeah. It's really hard to unknow that. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. That's a bell that can't be unrung, right? (laughs) And in terms of where folks can find me, I'm over at Danny Lynn Fountain on Instagram. Oh, perfect. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a Mental Health and Wealth Hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review and you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.